Hey guys, happy hey. Thursday. Welcome to lunch. Plus, we're super excited to have you with us today, and we have an awesome episode in store for you. I am Barrett Nauer. I'm one of your hosts today, along with... Buddy Crabtree. That's me. Buddy Crabtree. And we have... Have we got a show for you? <laughs> um, I sing jingles if you haven't um, been on the broadcast much before, you know, before today. Um, but here's what we've got in store for you, coming up live today. Today we have a good broadcast for you. We're going to be starting off with who would win in a fight. One of my fa favorite newest seg. Well, that's part that is our newest segment. It's right? true. Who would win in a fight after Kevin's doing a weird strongman pose right behind the camera? <laughs> who would win in a fight after that? We have a time of Q and A where we're going to be answering a powerful question today. It's going to be awesome. After Q and A, we have a time of confession followed by what's the word. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. And my husband's on right now. Hello, George Nauer. You are wonderful, and I love you bunches. Um, yeah, I am super excited for today's broadcast. If you haven't done it yet, go ahead and share the broadcast because it's going to be awesome. And go ahead and comment so that way we can say hello back to you. If you just hop on and you don't comment, we don't necessarily know that you're there, and we, we love you. We, we love you. <laughs> uh, Jan says hi. Kevin says hola, Jorge. Priscilla's here. Pastor Nicole's watching. I love you. Um, George says your last name is Nower. My last name is Nower. And that's an inside joke nobody else will understand. But man, do I appreciate you, my husband. We are now entering the time where I make Buddy feel uncomfortable live on television talking to my husband. Um, but for real. Family chat time here on the broadcast. We've been in a segment called Never Have I Ever, and we're going to find out, have you ever done these things? I've discovered lots about you. You've discovered lots about us. Mm -hmm. Let's keep it rolling today. Question number one, have you ever? Have you ever driven a stick shift? No, you I haven't? have not. I've never, real quick, Chris Holmes. Hi, Mr. Holmes. It's good to see you. Chris Holmes is from Maine. Um, I see that. Yeah, no, I've never driven a stick shift ever. I did once with my dad, and it was only once. <laughs> never had me do it again. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I, if I would trust myself with a stick shift at this point. Um, <laughs> Pastor Nicole has, Natalie has, Miss Cindy has, Kevin has. So we're in so, the minority. What do you mean, why are you saying we? You're in the minority. I have. Oh, that's right. You <laughs> You're once. alone. Never mind. This. I'm alone right now. Um, Priscilla says that she drives a standard. Um, a standard art. Is that different than? A standard and a stick shift are different, aren't they? It's the same thing? What, so the other cars are automatic? Is that what it is? Like well, any other car? It's automatic and manual. But I thought sure. standard was different. Um, Johnny says he has. Kevin says, Mom, remember that Ford Escort? Lemon. <laughs> Lisa, good afternoon. We love you so much. Thanks for being on. Priscilla says it's the same thing. Well, that's impressive. I didn't realize that the little Fiat was a stick. That's, hmm. that's interesting. That is interesting. That's really interesting. Priscilla drives a car that we've lovingly called the P car <laughs> because it's a tiny, cute little green car that I'm pretty sure two men could lift up and move somewhere. Um, so I'm really interested in the fact that it's a stick shift. I didn't realize that. Oh, look, Johnny said no, so you're not alone anymore. 
Johnny, now Johnny has to have driven a stick. What are, what are you saying no to, Johnny? Like, did I say something and you're just disagreeing with me? <laughs> George says, hola, Kevin Nowicki, que pasta? Um, Priscilla says, you can pretty much get any car in a standard or automatic. Chris says that he took his driving test and passed for the first time in a standard. That's impressive. That I impressive. super trust you driving. Like, that, that's genuinely impressive. I, did you pass your driver's test the first time? Yeah. I didn't, so that's mm -hmm. exciting. <laughs> that's cool. I, I like being in the Did you pass area. your driver's test the first time? Yeah, I did I'm not. Really I, so in Maine, I took driver's ed when I was a junior, and I got my permit, and I got my permit in like May, I think, and then the end of May to June to July, when I turned 16, I was working at a summer camp, so I didn't drive for three months. And then when I took my driver, my like actual driving test, I was, Maine only has like one road. So I took okay. it in a test where there were four lanes and I was in the rightmost lane. And she like, turn there. I'm like, okay. And I just cut across and went and gotcha. I failed. So Johnny said the standard <laughs> and stick shift are different. They are the same thing. So that's, that's what he said no to. So okay. he probably has driven the stick. So you're still alone. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> uh, okay, question number two. I've, I was alone. Let's see if I'm alone in this one. Have you ever been in an embarrassing video that was uploaded online? Um, define embarrassing? Like humiliating? No. Embarrassing now that I'm older looking back on my youth? <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's, that, I, I would say that <laughs> would consider as part of it. But like, was I embarrassed about any of the videos at the time? No. I, at the time, no. In retrospect, I'm like, what was I doing? But yeah, no. Uh, I'm so I memorized the whole dance to the Ho Down Throw Down by Hannah Montana, Miley Cyrus, and I performed that to a guy who is like sitting by himself in a in a cafe, and someone recorded it and posted it on Facebook. I so badly want this video to surface, Chris Crabtree. When you log on today and watch this. I want you to find it and <laughs> is, send it to is me. Is my mom your, like, your, Source? your little Facebook spy? For sure. I just spit everywhere. Um, for sure. I want to see Buddy. Source says what's online. <laughs> I want to see Buddy do this. Pastor Nicole says probably, but I don't remember what. I'm sure it was due to something I said without thinking it through. Uh, <laughs> Johnny says my teen years were before social media. That's Chris nice. says never had it on Facebook. Yeah, my teen years were before like social media became a thing, mm. but in college, Facebook was a thing. But yeah. I was often the one recording the embarrassing videos of gotcha. others, and I was the poster. Mm. I was not the posted. So, gotcha. interesting. Yes. Okay. Question number three. Dun dun dun. Have you ever gotten sun poisoning? Yes. I I believe so. Yeah. Once I, I fell asleep on a beach in Cuba. <gasps> And I try to apply the sunscreen on myself, which doesn't work. <laughs> so like I had like little streaks of white and then everything else was horribly red and painful. Like I was like shivering for like three nights afterwards. I, so Kevin says that he's had sun poisoning. George and I last year took, so George is the one of the two of us that burns, has burned the easiest. Like he will often has gone from being super white to Bob the tomato. Um, I've normally tanned, but this past summer we took, 
Marky and then Pastor and Pastor Nicole's kids to the beach. And we put on, no, Abby and I and Rachel and Luke and George put on sunblock. Marky didn't, but that I digress. I got the worst sunburn I've ever had in my entire life, as did Abigail. Like the whole drive back, I just sat in pain the whole time. And then when we got back to the house, Abby and I both just flopped over on our stomachs and just laid there, like mm. in lots and lots of pain. Like it, it hurt That's a awful. lot. It was not good. I just had to sneeze, boil up, and then fade away. Right there, live on camera. Yeah, so just so <laughs> if anyone was like looking at my face in the story and I'm like, <laughs> like, I, I'm just like looking at it right there. Yep, that's what happened. That's why I was making that face. <laughs> uh, uh, Pastor Nicole says, never diagnosed, but got so burnt that it looked blue and I passed out the next day. It hurt to blink. What? It was blue? Pastor Nicole. That sounds awful. She passed out the next day. Lobster. <laughs> reverse lobster, Kevin said. Uh, it was a reverse lobster. Oh, that sounds awful. Wow. You burned so bad that you went back to the original. Wow. I just made Kevin snort coffee out his nose. <laughs> Score of the day. Um, okay, next question, last question of the day. Have you ever accidentally sent someone to the hospital? Yes. Whoa. <laughs> that was an immediate yes, I have. It was my twin sister. I gave her a concussion. Um, Bunny! We were... How old? Uh, mom would know more than me. I think we were, we were like five or six. She was sitting on a spinny stool and I was spinning her really <laughs> fast. And then and there was a giant metal pole right next to it and then I just spun her real fast and then she was like whoop and then bang she hit her head off the pole and got a concussion. And she had to go to the hospital. Oh my gracious. Natalie says she's never done that. Pastor Nicole says, nope, sure haven't. Yay me. I'm glad that you've never sent anyone to the hospital. I don't think I've ever sent anyone to the hospital. Um, I don't think I have. I'm not. No, no. Priscilla sh says she almost did, which is interesting. How do you almost send someone to the hospital? Um, what did you do that almost sent them? I, I don't, I don't think so. Like I've, Mm, mm I don't think so. I've been to the hospital many a times, but yeah. like in my youth. But you were the one that other people sent to the hospital? No, I'm just thinking like I, I'm trying I, I don't think I have. But I, like I remember like being on my bike and like flipping it multiple times and having my teeth go through my gums and like or, or through my lip and stuff like that. No. Like while I was racing with my dad. Um but I don't think I've ever sent anybody. Priscilla says that she stopped before she physically broke good her cousin's mess. arm in a fight. Prill. Well, well, good job stopping. <laughs> I'm sure there's more. She said there's more to the story. I'm sure there is. Either way, we have apparently a beast here in the office that can break people's arms. If that was self-control, I feel super protected. Um, so that was family chat today. If you haven't what a done great it yet. way to end family chat. <laughs> um, Priscilla almost broke an arm. Welcome to, to Lunch Plus. <laughs> We've got an awesome episode in store for you today. We are going to hop over to our next segment, Who Would Win in a Fight? It's a brand new segment. We're super excited about it. So if you haven't done it yet, share the broadcast. We'll be back in 30 seconds. And yeah, we'll see you on the other side. Mm -hmm. Thank you.
What's up guys? Welcome to lunch. Plus, we have an awesome broadcast for you. Just to summarize it real quick, we're, we're going to start off with a segment called Who Would Win in a Fight? After that, we're going to have Q&A, followed by Confessions, followed by What's the Word? It's going to be awesome. But we're starting off now with Who Would Win in a Fight? This is our newest segment. And today it's me versus Buddy, which yeah. I'm very excited about. Mm -hmm. So who would win in a fight between me and Baird? Is that what you're saying? Just Basically. Uh, well, it's who would win in a debate. Yes. A verbal a yes. debate's basically a verbal fight, right? Sure. A fight with words. Sure. All right. Uh, so and you get to decide. Yeah, you get to decide um, who wins these arguments. This is basically how the game goes. All right, we're going to put up, we're, we're each going to be debating on a side, uh, and it's going to be a fight between two different people. And, and what's going to happen is, uh, as it comes up, one of us is going to give 30 quick seconds of an opening argument why they think their person or item would win in a fight. Yep. And then followed up by the next person will give their opening statement. And then each will have uh, time to give their rebuttal. And then you, in the comments today, you will determine who do you think, uh, who do you think will win, win, win in a fight? Win in a fight. <laughs> Who do you think would win in a fight? I don't know why, but I've been having a weird time with words. Buddy has been in like instigatory mode today, like so. I'm interested how this is gonna go. Yeah, it's gonna be super fun. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, let's start up with our very first fight of the day. Who do we have? It's gonna be between chocolate chip cookies or oatmeal raisin cookies. Yes. Who would win in a fight? And since I'm generous and considerate, I will have you go first. Awesome. Well, as you can see, I am on the side of the chocolate chip cookie. And while I fully admit that oatmeal raisin has its great qualities, it, it will never compare to a chocolate chip cookie. Chocolate chip cookies it are America's cookies. When you think of a cookie, you think of a chocolate chip cookie. And it has so many benefits, but when it comes to which one would win in a fight, any type of fight, Chocolate chip cookies will win. Are you trying to win the fight of friendship? Chocolate chip cookies will gain you friendship points. Are you trying to physically use them as projectile weapons? Chocolate chip cookies will hold together stronger than an oatmeal raisin cookie ever could. No matter what situation you put these two cookies in, chocolate chip cookies will lead you to victory time after time. All right, well, Time for my opening statement. <laughs> First and foremost, whenever you are talking about who would win in a fight, you don't want to get into the emotional arguments. You know, you want to get into the factual argument. You know, like we can talk about emotions all day that it makes you feel nice and warm and friendly inside, but it really boils down to the facts. Now you got the oatmeal, oatmeal as the base of the oatmeal raisin cookie, followed by a raisin, which is a fruit. And oatmeal raisins are significant 
significantly uh, healthier cookies to eat. Chocolate just makes you more tired and lethargic as well as all the sugar and brown sugar that's in the chocolate chip cookies. But an oatmeal raisin cookie is full of, it's got the brain, it's got the nutrients, it's got the stuff that'll get you strong and healthy. And if we're having a fight between a sugar-infused, uh, chocolatey, uh, like, death tart versus a, a more healthy option, I think a healthier person and a healthier cookie would always win in a fight against an unhealthier uh, and more lethargic-causing cookie. That's my opening statement. Now you have a turn to give your rebuttal. Yeah, and that was awesome. You know, I actually have held the same opinion many a time to justify eating oatmeal raisin cookies. But if you actually do the research on oatmeal raisin cookies, they are not any more nutritionally beneficial than a chocolate chip cookie. Because while it has a raisin, the sugar content in raisins is actually pretty comparable to the sugar content in chocolate chip cookies. Right. And nutritionally speaking, they're calorically very close to one another. Mm. However, oatmeal raisin cookies have a higher sodium rate than the chocolate chip cookie goes. So if you're looking to use a, a an oatmeal raisin cookie to fuel yourself before you go to a fight, you personally will become more lethargic. Now, however, if you are looking to weaponize the cookie in order to do the fight for you, chocolate chip cookies are slightly higher in calories. So if you are weaponizing your cookie, which is the entire point of this segment, which one would win in a fight, then the chocolate chip cookie is ultimately going to be the better weaponized option over an oatmeal raisin. It will kill your offenders quicker. If you're using it to fuel yourself, if you just have one, it will actually give you enough energy to stimulate you to fight against the lethargic person having eaten said oatmeal raisin cookie. Overall, altogether, <laughs> nutritionally, chocolate chip cookies win every single time. No matter the fight, they're going to win. I appreciate your chutzpah. Anytime. I appreciate the chutzpah. However, when it comes to uh, weaponizing a cookie, mm -hmm. all right, when it comes to weaponizing a cookie, I've never handed someone a chocolate chip cookie. They took a bite of it and all of a sudden they're like, uh, all of a sudden they're just like, oh my goodness, what is this? But I have handed someone an oatmeal raisin cookie Wait, and their whole on. demeanor. Hold on a second. You mean somebody you would then stealthily take the chocolate chip cookie that you could have planted there for your enemy to then eat on their own? Right. They're more inclined to take a chocolate chip cookie? So they're more inclined to naturally eat the weapon of said chocolate chip cookie than they would be the weapon of the oatmeal raisin? I'm really, I, I have no idea what you're So if I planted an, a chocolate chip cookie in your house, mm -hmm. you're telling me that the chocolate chip cookie would be naturally ingested first before the nasty oatmeal raisin cookie? Yeah. So it would then kill off the enemies Are you poisoning faster? this cookie? I'm really confused. No, it's, it's not it a matter be. of a poison it cookie. Be. It's not a matter of a poison cookie. See, it here's... Here's how it works. <laughs> if you've ever eaten an oatmeal raisin cookie <laughs> and your whole life just crumbled in one moment where your whole day has shifted because you assumed it was chocolate chip, but then it was oatmeal raisin it's true. and your whole life just began, oh, it, the whole life was drained from your, your very being. Only an oatmeal raisin cookie can do that. Oatmeal raisin cookies are known for doing that. Mm -hmm. Therefore, an oatmeal it's raisin true. cookie will win in a fight. Guys, put in the comments, <laughs> who do you think at this point 
Who do you think would win in a fight between oatmeal raisin and chocolate chip? Well, I already have one for oatmeal raisin. It's true. Put it in the comments. Who do you think would win in a fight between an oatmeal raisin and a chocolate chip cookie? We got one for oatmeal raisin. And, oh, I guess we'll just stay there. Right? <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll just leave it at that. Huh? That's the vote that we're looking at. Yeah, we're looking at the votes now once the debate is over. Yes. So we got one for oatmeal raisin. Oh, we got one for chocolate chip. Boom. Over on YouTube with Natalie. All right, come on, guys. One one. Come on. Uh, there's no oatmeal raisin emoji, <gasps> just saying. Which means I'm she's assuming. on. No, no, no. She's on team chocolate chip. That means it's more popular, so I, she's I voting think, for me. I think you'll need to, to clarify, Pastor Nicole, but we got another for chocolate chip. Yeah. Uh, I do like oatmeal raisin cookies. That's what Holly said. So I'm going to say that that's a point for me. Sure. You could interpret it that way. Okay. Uh, Michaela Hurlburt, that's because woman of God. You preached really well last night. I watched you. It was really good. All right. Three for chocolate chip. Four for another for oatmeal. The next, I'll, I'll give it to whoever gets the next point. Chocolate chip. Kevin no, says chocolate that, chip. That that's counts. not how it works. <laughs> oh, no, no. She said it again. Chocolate chip. Okay, Pastor Nicole. Boom. All right, we'll give that to you. I'll give that to you. All right, well, we're moving on to the next one. That was a close one. Personally, like now that the mm -hmm. debate's over, I prefer oatmeal to raisin cookies to Well, there's chip. another vote for oatmeal. No, no, it's over. It's All done. Right. All right, let's, we'll do one more. One more for this segment, okay. and then we'll move on. We have Kevin McAllister. And Buddy the Elf. Who would win in a fight between Kevin McAllister from Home Alone or Buddy the Elf from Elf? Do you want to open up? And Sure, I can open up. So, this one I actually have something written down for. I wasn't as prepared for that last one. I, <laughs> I didn't know it was going to be first. I thought it would be last. and I, didn't I thought it would get be last it. as well. All right. Well, here's the thing. Kevin McAllister does not run from a fight. Whenever he found out that two grown men were going to be coming in and trying to rob his house, he didn't call the cops. He didn't run away. He set up strategic traps to ensure that, the, that these two grown men were destroyed. Also, Kevin, Kevin, the young Kevin, could technically be charged with aggravated assault, assault with a deadly weapon, and attempted murder. And the only thing Buddy the Elf could be charged with is trespassing. Now, here's the thing. If you're if you're putting it but if you're putting up a fight between uh, a young man who is able to to fend off two grown adults and a grown man who acts like a child, uh, I'm going to give it to the child who can fend off two adults any time, any day, any place. Amen. Sounds good. Well, and that's all very, all of that is very factually valid. Here's the thing with Buddy the Elf. Buddy the Elf is trained in mechanical engineering. He is trained in the art of stealthy movements. As an elf, you've got to know how to be stealthy, how to move stealthily through things. He understands how to operate mechanical things. So while Kevin could create things that would evade the average everyday oaf. People that work with Santa Claus are not stupid. He's portraying himself as a child, but as we saw through the entire movie, he is self-realizing the true abilities that are innate within him. As we saw outside, he has the arm of a professional baseball player, so he can be lodging weapons at people all day long with extreme speed. He has the height advantage, the weight advantage. He understands, he is able to battle 
anywhere. Buddy the elf also brings with him joy, which is off-putting and will throw off his opponent. While his opponent may consistently be in a state where he's just angry and whatnot, Buddy the Elf will be able to disarm a child, which Kevin McAllister is, and he would be able to then henceforth win said fight. To then henceforth win said fight. <laughs> I'm, I'm knocking the tablecloth off. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say that your debating skills are very well. <laughs> are very good. Very well. That was an improper They're scene. very well. However, <laughs> here, here's my rebuttal to that. All right. You said that, that Buddy was, was trained in chemical engineering. but Mechanical. Mechanical engineering. Did I say chemical? Whatever. <laughs> you did. Mechanical engineering. However, you, when you watched the movie, he was the worst <laughs> at mechanical engineering. But here's the thing, and really all I have to say to, to close this up is one thing, all right? When it comes to fighting, Kevin McAllister was able to fight against two grown men and win. Mm -hmm. Buddy the Elf fought against a bunch of little children and won. He's a, so when, if it's between a young child who can, who can destroy grown men or a grown man who just fights a bunch of little kids, mm -hmm. I think... It, 100%, it goes to the child who can, who can take out the grown men. Yeah, and that's super valid, except for the fact that Buddy is actually fighting off said child. You know, they're fighting off against, you know, Kevin's beaten adults before, sure. Buddy the elf has beaten children before, sure. But here's the thing, where's the fight taking place? Kevin McAllister only wins on his own when he's inside. If we're deciding that they have to fight outside, Kevin McAllister needed help. As soon as the as soon as the fight moved outside in Home Alone 2, he needed help from people who were who were there. He on his own almost got outsmarted by the two men. I got thrown by the tablecloth. But here's here's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line. Oh, wow. Pride goes before that. the fall. The word tells us this. Kevin McAllister has been up to this point in the movies, an incredibly prideful, emotionally volatile child. He's prone to fits of anger. He's prone to outbursts. You know, pride is what caused him to be by himself in every single movie. Buddy the Elf is consistent. He's consistently joyful. His why is because he's motivated by love. Kevin McAllister is just motivated by fear. And love does not fail. As the one motivated by love, Buddy the Elf will not be able to fail. The Bible also says that God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And as the humble, God is then going to exalt Buddy the Elf over Kevin McAllister every time. Kevin McAllister may have made a way for himself in the house and running around the streets in New York, and that's fine. But who do you really want helping you win? A homeless lady in Central Park? Or do you want God the Father helping you win your battles? Ultimately, scripturally, you want God to be your defender. And when it comes down to home court advantage, Kevin may have it at his house but god goes with buddy wherever he goes i don't appreciate ah! you bringing scripture into this that's not fair all right well put in the comments <laughs> who do you think would win in a fight between buddy the elf or kevin McAllister? we already have one i think we have like three now for buddy i'm just gonna I've, i think so far there's three for buddy the elf if buddy wins are you going to start watching elf
No. <laughs> Put it in the comments. Uh, we see another one. Or d when you say buddy wins, do you mean I win? Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> it's the only time. He says biblical uh, after. Buddy of not the crab tree. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, uh, see, if you didn't bring scripture into that, like, people were totally on my side before you put, before you did that. Uh, Pastor Nicole says, spiritually, I vote buddy. But as heathens on the street, I'd be Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> so in right. the flesh, Kevin would win. But we don't live by the flesh. We live in the spirit. All right. Well, I'm, I'll give that to you. Then. <laughs> well done. Well done. Amen. Amen. That's fun. All right. Well, now we're moving on to our next segment. This is Q&A. We're uh, definitely getting back to the word <laughs> fully on this one. Uh, so, guys, we'll see you. I'll see you over that other table over there for Q&A. Hey, guys, welcome. Now that I just got, you know, whooped, in that uh, last segment, it's time to move on to Q&A. And, and, and this is our heart for Q&A. With, with our Q&A segments, we really want to make sure that we bring you a, uh, a biblical answer to the questions that you have. And so if you have any questions about God, about the Bible, about uh, li just life in general, like how do I handle wh whatever, we want to answer your questions. And uh, we want to do our best. If there is a biblical answer to your question, we want to give that to you. And so what we're going to do right now is we're going to answer a question. Um, and the question is this, how do I get my prayers answered? Um, I don't know if you've ever been just frustrated, you know, where you've been like, where you've been praying about, maybe you're believing for something. Maybe you're, you're praying and asking God for something, but it seems like there's no answers to the prayer. It seems like the answer isn't coming. And so what, what I wanted to do is I wanted to just walk through scripture real quick about uh, how we can receive answers to prayers. So if your question is, how do I get answers to my prayers or why are my prayers getting answered? Uh, the Bible gives us a pretty clear uh, answer. But I want to start off with this. Uh, in, in James 4, verse 3, it says this. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss. I, I want you to hear that because this is something that we don't hear much today. Uh, but it's important for us to recognize that there is actually a wrong way to pray. People, people will try to tell you, oh, there's no wrong way to pray. You just talk to God. You know, but there's, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that there is a wrong way to pray. That's what James is saying here. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. And what he says is, he says that you may spend it on your own pleasures and your own desires. It's important that when we pray, when we seek God, uh, and I'm going to give you uh, a couple quick points on just how to receive answers to prayer. It's important for us to recognize that there is a wrong way to pray. The Bible, uh, when, when the disciples say, Jesus, how, how should we pray? He didn't just say, oh, well, you know, you just talk to God. There's really no wrong way to do it. No, he said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then he gives them the Lord's Prayer. So, so I want to give you some quick points on, on just how we can ensure or how we can receive answers to our prayers. And, and the first point that I want to give you, uh, if you put, put it in the comments, John 15, 7. The first point is that we need to have an intimate and active relationship with Christ. We need to abide in Christ. 
If we want answers to our prayers, this is what John 15, 7 says. It says, if Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you desire and it shall be done for you. So what is Jesus saying? This, this is where he said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you, you can do nothing. So if we're not, if we just run to Jesus whenever we need him and then ignore him whenever we don't, whenever we don't think we need him, we're, we're not going to be in a position to receive answers to the prayers. See, we need to be abiding in him. Uh, like Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You need, we need to be actively connected with God always at all times. We shouldn't just be constantly disconnecting. Uh, you know, we talked about this yesterday, the, the importance of consistency. You know, being consistent and active in our relationship with God. And Jesus says, if you abide in me, if you're consistent, if you're always walking with me, uh, where, where we are having an active relationship, it's not just you come to me whenever you need me, but you're always seeking my face, always seeking my word, that that active relationship puts us in a position to receive answers. That's why Jesus said, if you abide in me, uh, uh, or if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you want and it will. He doesn't say it may be, it shall be done for you. That's what Jesus said. Uh, so it's important for us to be abiding in him. Next, uh, the next point that I want to give to you is, and you can put this in the, co- in the comments, make sure you're praying the will of God. Make sure you are praying the will of God. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says this. Now this is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know we have the positions that we have asked of Him. How do we know we have the positions? Because we know we're praying according to the will of God. How do we know if something's the will of God? If it's in the Word of God, it's the will of God. So if God says in His Word... Uh, um, if God says in his word, the prayer offered in faith shall save the sick, well then, we know that that's his will. His word says that, uh, in Third John chapter 2, that he wills that we prosper and be in good health, even as our soul prospers. So, if you're praying the word of God, you're praying the will of God. So make sure, whatever your request is to God, make sure you put together some scriptures, because that way you know you're praying the will of God. Put some scriptures, say, God, this is what your word says. And, and we know that if we're praying the, the will of God, we know that he hears us and we know that we have the positions that we ask, the petitions that we ask of him. So make sure you're praying the will of God. I've heard preachers say, you know, that people have come to them saying, Pastor, I want you to agree with me in prayer that, that this, this woman becomes my wife. Um, and the pastor, which woman in particular? Well, she's already married. You know, like, I've heard pastors tell that story. Obviously, God's not going to answer that prayer because it has nothing, because it's not his will for that woman to divorce her husband so that he can marry, you know. So it's important for us, and I know that's an extreme example, but there are a lot of times where we, we might be praying something where, Let's say, let's say in the instance of Jonah, God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, but we could be actively going in a different direction. You know, God's not going to answer that pr- a prayer of God bless me if we're not walking in his will. So it's important for us to be praying the will of God, praying the word of God. Uh, that way we can ensure we can know that we have the petitions we ask because we're praying according to the will of God. And then the next thing, uh, pray in faith. 
When you pray, uh, James 1, 6 through 8 says this, but let, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. So it's important that when we make our request known to God, that we, because God wants us to come boldly before the throne. Recognize, God wants to answer your prayers. Smith Wigglesworth said it this way, he said, God is more eager to answer than we are to ask. And so, and so when we recognize God wants to answer our prayers, when we're praying the will of God, we should come to Him with boldness and with faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The Amplified says, faith perceives as fact what is invisible to our senses. It perceives as fact. So what does that mean? When I'm praying in faith, that means that there is no other outcome uh, to this prayer than God is going to answer it. Because all, all the promises of God are yes and amen. That's what faith looks like. If we enter into our prayers double-minded, like James says, where maybe God will answer, maybe He won't, that's not a prayer of faith. And James says very clearly here that those double-minded prayers, they should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. That's why it's important for us to come to Him in faith. Uh, you know, And in faith, we come boldly before the throne of grace so that we can receive help and mercy in our time of need. That's who God is. God wants to answer our prayers. So we need to come to Him in faith, not doubting, not questioning, but fully confident that there's only one outcome. And, that, and that's the, the, the spirit that David had when he prayed. You saw that David said, you know, a thousand may be falling around me, ten thousand may be dying around me, but these evils will not touch me. Why? Because... He had faith. That's what faith looks like. Faith looks like, I know my prayer will be answered, just like the woman with the issue of blood. I know if I touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. Not maybe, not we'll try this out and see. No, faith perceives as fact what you can't see. So whenever you're making your petition, you can have full joy because you know it's going to happen. And then, and then uh, my last point I want to give you, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. It's so important that when we are making our requests and our prayers to God, it's very important for us that we are walking in holiness, that we are in righteousness, because Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says this, Behold, the Lord's hand is not short that He cannot save. So it's not that God is not able to save. His ear is not heavy that He cannot hear. But it is iniquity, it is sin that has separated us from God. So sin, sin puts up a wall between us and God to where God's hand's not short that He cannot act. That, that means it's not that God doesn't want to act, it's not that God doesn't want to hear, but iniquity closes off the door to where we are not able to have connection with him. And that's why Jesus Christ came to break that wall of sin, to break the bondage that sin had over us so that we can be restored into relationship with God and we can abide in him now. So that while now that we have this newfound relationship, we can abide in him. He can abide in us and what we can ask whatever we will and we know that he'll answer us. We know that he'll answer us. Why? Because that relationship has restored. That's why Christ came. So that that relationship can be restored. So it's important for us to, to take on the righteousness of God and to remove sin and iniquity far from us so that we can be in that right standing with God. Because iniquity and sin, constant habitual rebellion against the word and the will of God has the ability to block him so that he cannot enter in and do what he wants to do and answer the prayers like he wants to. And I'm just going to give one extra bonus point. And this is just for particularly for any husband that's watching today. 
First Peter 3, 7 says this, Husbands, dwell with them, your wives, with understanding. Give honor to the wife as the weaker vessel and uh, as being heirs together in the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. This is like a side thing, but I'm telling you, if you're a husband, dishonoring and being unloving towards your wife, not, not esteeming her as the one that God give you as an equal in Christ, that has the ability to hinder your prayer life. If your marriage is not, if you're not actively fighting, uh, the Bible says, husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church. That's a self-sacrificial love. If you're not offering that to your wife, that is the ability to hinder your prayers. And, and I just, I knew I had to throw that in there because that, that, that's something that could potentially be overlooked. And that's something that, that if you're a husband and you're like, why doesn't it seem like I'm ha-? Look at the way that you're treating your wife. Are you treating her the way that Christ treated the church by self-sacrificing himself for her? And guys, that, th- those are the points. Uh, you know, th- those are just some of the major key points. If we want to ensure that, that uh, in our lives we're living as all of his promises are yes and amen, that we can have what Christ said we can have. You abide in me. What, ask whatever you wish, not just whatever you need, but whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. This is it. Abide in Christ. Abide in Him. Uh, pray according to His will. Pray in faith. Remove sin, and husbands, honor your wife. Th- those are main keys uh, to, to ensuring that our prayers get answered. Now we're going to be moving on to a time of confession, but if you have any questions for us for the, these Q&A sessions, Please, please, please feel free to send it. Put it in the comments. Send us a message. Go to whatsright.com and send us, send us your questions. We want to answer your questions. But now I'm going to give it over to Barrett for our time of confession. We'll see you guys real soon. Hey guys, we like to daily go through some confessions that we have here in the ministry. They're based on the Word of God and our heart is to ensure that God's Word not only comes in your ears, but it comes out of your mouth because the Word accomplishes that which it was sent to do. So today we are going to be on confession number five. And as we say this, join your voice with mine. Let's say these things together and see the Lord move. Let's go ahead and put that on the screen. Confession number five. We walk in the fullness of faith, hope, and love. We win souls. We love righteousness, hate sin, walk in holiness, and are anointed by God. That is who you are today. It's coming to pass in your life, whether you've been that way before this moment or not. As we speak the things of God, they are manifesting. And I'm just so excited to be growing in Christ alongside y'all. Well, if you haven't done it yet, go ahead and take the time, share the broadcast. It's going to be a powerful word Share the broadcast. We'll be right back in just a couple seconds, just long enough for you to go share it. And we'll see you here back super soon, like right now. Go do it. (laughs) We'll see you during What's the Word.
Hello, hello. I told you, we're right back. We're here. <laughs> if you haven't done it yet, go ahead and share the broadcast. And we had our 100th comment earlier. I'm not 100% sure who it was, though, because it was happening during the debate, and so I missed it. So what we're going to do is I'm going to have Marky, who is on the computer, go back through the comments, and we will, Buddy will let you know at the very end of what's the word, who the 100th commenter was. So just so that you know, we give out a gift card every single day to our 100th commenter. And so during the end of this whole thing, we'll let you know who that 100th comment was. We haven't forgotten about it. We'll let you know. <laughs> but right now, we are going to dive into what's the word. If you are brand new watching, we... I got distracted. I'm so sorry. <laughs> if you're brand new watching... I am Barrett. Now we're here at what the, what's the word? We have a whole bunch of anointed men and women that are able to just come alongside one another and alongside you and just grow in Christ together. And I'm really honored to be able to be here for what's the word today. So I'm going to open up in prayer and we're going to rock and roll. As you saw from the title, we're talking about God's playbook. And so that's where we're going today. I'm excited to share with you what the Lord has shared with me. God, we thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this day. We thank you, God, for this time. Thank you, Father, for this broadcast and that every piece of equipment works as it's called to work. Thank you that every person who is called to hear the words preached today, that every person hears it without hindrance. Let every internet connection work as it's called to work. And we thank you, Father. Thank you for anointing my words as I speak because they're not mine, they're yours. So use me as a vessel to preach the gospel as you would have it done. In Jesus' name, we praise you. We love you. Hallelujah. Amen. God is so good. If you're still on, if you're on right now, go ahead and put in the comments right now who you are. I want to know who's watching. I, I like knowing who's online. But yesterday morning, you know, we've talked about it before and we have 6 a.m. prayer here at the church. And so yesterday morning, I'm on my way to 6 a.m. prayer, and the Lord just starts to give me a download of what this particular word was supposed to be. So I'm really excited about it. But I had a visual that went along with it. I'm somebody that the Lord speaks to through, um, through pictures. I, I see a lot. Um, that's how the Lord will talk to me often. And so what I saw was I saw a team gathered together and I saw a coach in the coach's playbook. And the team, as they're coming together, the coach is designed, he comes up with the plans, he comes up with the plays, and the team is designed to receive the plays. You know, God, he's not our coach, so to speak. He's our Lord. But God has a playbook, and it's here in this word. This word is God's playbook. And he would not have us be unaware of the times that we live in and how to maneuver through the times that we live in. You know, if you look around you right now, it seems dark everywhere. You know, corrupt politicians, sex trafficking stuff, corona stuff. Like, it just seems dark no matter where we're looking. And what I've been seeing in the world, just me personally, is I've been seeing Christians, people who are on God's team, so to speak. I've seen them running out 
like they have no idea what to do. You know, it's like you unleashed a whole bunch of preschoolers <laughs> on a soccer field and said, go play soccer. And they're like, okay. And they just all start running everywhere. I used to teach kindergarten. And so this is a very familiar visual in my head <laughs> of what happens when you just unleash a whole bunch of kids. But that's what Christians have been doing is that we've been operating as though we have no idea how to live in this world that we live in, how to operate in this day and age that we live in, as though there's not a playbook. But God has given us specific plays to ensure, <laughs> to ensure that we are victorious. God's playbook leads us to victory. And that's basically been the theme of these broadcasts this week. If you've been watching with us from Monday onward, it's really been designed to talk about victory because God's plans, God's plays are to lead his children into a place where they are victorious all of the time. But if we don't know what the plays are, then we'll end up going out on the field and trying to come up with something in our own mind that we think will work. But we're not designed to think we're not designed to be God. We're designed to think God's thoughts. We're designed to act as God acted, but we're not designed to create the plans ourselves. We're designed to receive the plans, receive the instructions of God, and then we are called to act them out and fulfill them. So today, the verse that really stuck out to me yesterday as I was driving to prayer, we're going to be in uh, James, the book of James, chapter 4. So if you will flip over there, we're going to meet James chapter 4, and we're going to start with verse 6. It says in James 4, 6, But he, God, gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now here's God's playbook. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. In those two verses, verse 6 and 7, that's a playbook that Christians are to follow. Humble yourself, submit to God, resist the devil. Three instructions. You know, I've heard it said often, and Brother Copeland actually a few years ago, he was preaching it often. It's time to go back to the basics. So often with Christianity, especially, but really anything. So often we look for the flashy things, the things that are, you know, quick mic drop moments, tweetable things that we can put out there, things that just seem really, really big. But really it's the fundamentals and it's the basic things of Christianity that ensure that we walk in victory. You know, I can, if I'm learning how to play basketball, I can perfect my three-point shot all day long. I can, I can shoot three-pointers all day long. But if I don't know how to dribble the ball, what kind of an asset am I? You, the coach can't unleash me onto the court if I don't know how to handle the ball, if I don't know how to guard, if I don't know how to be on the offense. He's not going to be able to use me properly. These are basic things in Christianity, but the world, what has happened is it's gotten distracted. You know, the only, the, we're not even really fighting the enemy. That's a, the enemy's a defeated foe. But on, you know, in this analogy where I'm just imagining us on a football field, the opposing team is the enemy. And here's the thing. They're not even skilled. 
The enemy, the only skill set, the only asset he has in his bag of tricks is deception. That's all he has. And you see it. He is a smoke and mirrors entity. He likes to distract people. So if he can catch them off guard and distract them and just get them focused off of anything other than the word, we are then set up to fall. That's all he is, is he is distraction. So you know what a distraction is? The news. Like when you turn the news on and it's war, bad, death, blah, blah. Like (laughs) all that's coming in your ears is distraction, 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 distraction. You can't think about the things of God because there's too much bad in the world. You've got to focus on the bad and figure out a solution to bad. Instead of meditating on the promise, it's all distractions. But if we will peel away, you know, it's like, it's like if LeBron James was playing, he's a basketball player. I said it yesterday. I don't know why the Lord talks to me in sports things. I really don't. Like anyone who knows me knows I don't care about sports, but clearly it matters to the Lord. So (laughs) let's say that the best basketball team in the NBA right now were to go up against LeBron James by himself with a whole bunch of peewee basketball players. LeBron, LeBron James is big. LeBron James has, you know, he's able to shoot. He's able to do some awesome stuff. But if he's going up against a team that is rooted in the fundamentals, that have an amazing skill set on the basics of shooting, rebounding, dribbling, guarding. They understand how to take foul shots. They understand how to take the ball and charge down the court. If they are rooted in the fundamentals, then one cannot oppose five. You know, the enemy cannot come up against you and the Lord if you're rooted in the fundamental things of God and win. He just can't. And so today we're going to be talking about what some of those, what some of those keys are, what some of those three fundamental things are. So humility, submission, resisting. Humility, put that in the comments. Humility, submission, resisting equals the devil fleeing. That's a promise. It's what the word tells us in James 4. So the first thing that we're going to be talking about is humility. You know, humility is key. Pastor has said it before. There was a period of time where he fasted. He took like a whole year. And I think of the whole year, he fasted in some way, shape or form more than 200 days of that year throughout the year, not 200 days in a row, but of the 365, he fasted over 200 of them in some way, shape or form. And throughout that whole period of time, what the Lord kept saying to him was hunger and humility, hunger and humility, hunger and humility. Humility recognizes the need for a Lord. Pastor said it this past Sunday, you know, there's a difference between making Jesus your savior and making him your Lord. A savior saves you. You know, Jesus has saved us from hell. Jesus has saved us from sickness. He saved us from poverty. He saved us. That's what a savior does. But a Lord gets to call the shots. 
a, that's why pastor, when he's leading people to Jesus, and it's something that he has taught us to do here at the church, when we're leading somebody to Jesus, one of the things that we'll say is, Jesus, I make you the Lord of my life. You call the shots and I'll be obedient. That's what a good coach does. They call the shots. They direct their players because they know how their players are the most valuable. But if we come to God thinking that we have an understanding of how we're the most valuable, then we're putting aside the fact that God knows so much more than we do. Humility recognizes, put this in the comments, humility recognizes our need for a Lord and not just a Savior. We need both. He needs to be both to us. He needs to be our Savior, and He needs to be our Lord. Humility recognizes its need for a Lord and not just a Savior. Humility opens up the door to grace and greater grace. We read that in James 4, 6. God is opposed to the proud. We, as y'all, as the body of Christ, we've got to get rid of pride. I was the most prideful person that you've probably ever met in both ditches, in the pride where I thought that I was so awesome and in the pride where I thought that I sucked terribly. Like I lived in both camps. I was so prideful. And what it did is it separated me from Jesus. You know, pride is sin. It's a fruit of death. It's a fruit of the flesh. Pride is not a fruit of the Spirit. It's not. And so that fruit will cause us to be separated from the Lord. The body of, body of Christ, we've got to be humble. We've got to humble ourselves to our need of a Lord. We are not designed to figure out life on our own. We are designed to receive the instructions from heaven and then be obedient to those things. But we will never receive instruction unless we are humble to hear it. You know, Buddy and I could both be in a class. We, we're both attending Impact right now. We could both be in Impact. We could both be physically in the room when pastor gives an instruction. But the person who's humble to listen to pastor is the one who would receive it. We could both be physically in the same place, both physically be near the same person, and only one of us catch what the person is saying. Humility ensures that we're in position to hear from God. That's what humility will do. Humility keeps us in a right p position. It's not. And look, pride is not just I'm so awesome and the rest of the world stinks. You know, that's a ditch that Christians have gotten in is I'm so much smarter than everybody else. You see that all over social media right now with coronavirus and all this stuff. P Christians, like I've seen Christians interact with people who don't yet know Christ and treat them as though they're stupid and they're lesser. That's pride. We've got to cut that out. We've got to stop that. We're not smarter than anybody else on our own. We've been blessed to have access to the mind of Christ. That's a blessing. And it's a blessing that the lost are called to have too. God can't, God sent Jesus so that the world through Christ might be saved. It's not our job to show off to the people who are lost and going to hell how smart we are. It's our job to help bridge that gap. So that's an aspect of pride, but pride is also saying, God, I'm not worthy of what you're doing. I just, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Oh, that's a bunch of bull. Cut it out. 
<laughs> That's not Jesus. We've got to have an awareness of our righteousness. So humility, here's what humility does. Humility recognizes our need for a Lord and humility boldly approaches the throne of grace in time of need. We've got to church. We've got to start boldly approaching the throne of grace. We've got to recognize our need for a Lord and then we've got to boldly go to him. We're living in a world where the church is being beat down. The church is being persecuted. The church is literally door after door after door after door are being shut and forced out of a sense of fear and safety and this weird tolerance stuff that's not Jesus. The church is being persecuted. And instead of saying, I just don't, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. It's getting darker every single day. It's time for the church to rise up and in all humility, with all meekness and meekness is power under control it's time for the body of Christ to boldly approach the throne of grace and say Lord what do we do Lord how do we act Lord what's the next play Lord what's the next move how am I part of it show me what to do we've got to be bold we've got to be bold humility will lead to a boldness We've got to get to the point where we humble ourselves and recognize our need of a Lord. It's not an option. It should not be optional for whether he's our Lord. I should not be able to live my life and decide some days I need him as Lord, some days I don't. Some days I'm going to call on him, some days I'm not. No, I need to go, I need in my prayer, you know, it's just, as I've been praying daily, all that just keeps coming out of me, and I'm sure that, To some who have heard me pray, it sounds like I'm just repeating it to repeat it. But all that comes out of my spirit as I've been praying is, Lord, I need you. I want you. I have to have you because I need him. I need the playmaker. I need the God who knows the end from the beginning. I need the one who is pure wisdom and pure love. I need him and I want him. And I have to have him. God, I need you. I need you. There's a reason that if you watch winning teams, like back in 2016, the Cubs won the World Series. And it was so cool to watch because the players rejoiced with one another, but they also rejoiced with their coach. Like their coach is the one that they dumped all the water, Gatorade, whatever it was on him. Like the coach is the one that they lifted up and they were praising because the coach took them from a team of being consistently losing for 108 years to a team that won. It was because of the coach. The coach rallied the players. We need the coach who knows the playbook. We need, we need him to be our Lord. We need Jesus as our Lord. So the first thing is humility. The second thing is submission. You know, and they may sound like they're hand in hand, but we've got to be submitted. We were talking about it yesterday, about how consistency, consistency is a separator. You're consistent when you're submitted. God is looking, pastor says this all the time, God is looking for people who will do the right thing for long periods of time. God's looking for you to do the right thing for long periods of time. God's looking for me to do the right thing for long periods of time. When, and here's the thing, it's when we move 
from agreeing with somebody into submission. Like, it's easy to agree. Like, when pastor and I see eye to eye, it's very easy to say, I'm submitted to pastor. We think the same. Things I don't often say. Pastor and I have just a different way of operating and thinking. But, you know, it's, <laughs> and as he's watching, I'm sure he's chuckling. But, you know, it's easy to be submitted to pastor when we agree. It's easy to be submitted to Pastor Nicole when Pastor Nicole and I agree. It's easy to be submitted to my husband when my husband and I agree. But you find out if you're submitted when you disagree. You find out when you're submitted, whether or not you are, if an opportunity comes up and the person you're submitted to has a different call than you would make. You know, you may, in all of your logic, think differently than the person who's calling the shots. Most Christians would say that they're submitted until the rubber starts to meet the road. And all of a sudden, something in the word of God contradicts with what they've been trained to think, what they've been trained to do. Most Christians are not submitted. Most Christians have a savior. They don't have a Lord. You know, if back in olden times, if a king made a decree and a subject opposed it, the subject got killed. Like, <laughs> now, that's not how God works. God's not a murderer. But that's how intense people took submission. It was not a little thing. The Lord called the shots. Most people are not submitted. Fruit proves that. Fruit proves it. You know, we're, we're commanded in scripture to train our thoughts on things worthy of praise. And you turn on social media and you see how many people who self-profess to be Christians are not thinking on things worthy of praise. They're not submitted in that area of their life. We're called to be submitted to God. And that really is one of the things that locks up this whole thing. People can say that they're humble. Sure, they're humble. Jesus is their Lord. But the submission, and so they'll hear humility, they'll hear resist the devil, but it's the submission aspect that's the key where the thing just falls to pot. Because it's easy to do the right thing once. I said it yesterday, it's easy to do the right thing once. It's easy to do, to do the right thing for a couple months. It's less easy on your flesh to do the right thing for long periods of time. Submission is a decision. We decide. All of this is a decision. But we decide whether or not we're going to be submitted to the Lord. When the Lord tells you, wake up early and come to prayer, we find out if we're submitted when the alarm clock goes off at 520, as it did this morning. And my flesh is like screaming at me going, no, Barrett, stay in bed. I had to decide, am I going to be submitted to the Lord or am I going to be submitted to sleeping? We find out when the Lord tells you to come to church on a Sunday morning and not forsake the assembling of the brethren, even as the day draws near. We find out if we're submitted, if we stay home. When the Lord tells you, be strong and courageous, fear not but we decide to be in fear anyway. It's all decisions. Submission is a decision. Submission is the key to your enemy's flee. Put that in the comments. Submission is the key to your enemy's flee. If you want your enemy to flee, you've got to be submitted to God. Your opinion, I heard, I heard a minister say years ago, 
as a believer, I'm not entitled to my own opinion when it comes to the things of God. I have no opinion. My opinion is God's opinion. My opinion is what God thinks. My opinion is the word, the end. And we've got to be submitted to the things of God to not only amen it, but to live it. We've got to, guys, we've got to get to the point where we're not just saying it in mental agreement and mental assent and checking the box. We've got to live it. Submission lives the things of God. True submission is not just in word, is not just an agreement. It's an action. Submission is an action. And we've got to be submitted. Hebrews 12, 11, uh, 12, 11, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful yet to those who have been trained by it. That's you. You will be the people trained by the word of God. You will be the people trained by discipline. You will be the people submitted to God. You will be the people that perpetual victory is your story because you've decided to train yourself in the discipline of God. It says those who have been trained by it afterwards, after you've disciplined yourself, after you've given yourself to the things of God, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And here's the thing. Righteousness is the scepter of God. Righteousness is how we rule and reign in the kingdom. We've got to have an awareness of our righteousness. It's like what Buddy was talking about earlier. The reason that the body of Christ's prayers often are not being answered as quickly as they should be is because we're not truly submitted to God. We're submitted to ourselves. We have been. I have been. I've been submitted to me. It stinks. I'm a really crappy Lord. Like I'm not good at it because I'm not supposed to be good at it. That's the reason our prayers don't work is because we haven't been submitted to God. And then our conscience knows it. Our spirit gets convicted about it. Then it lives in a place of condemnation. And then when we're condemned, we're more sin conscious. We're more aware of our shortcomings than we are of the righteousness that we're called to live in because we're not living in a state of being disciplined. We've got to be submitted. It's not even an option. It's something that the Lord mandates. It's not, well, maybe if you humble yourself, maybe if you're submitted to God. No, it says, humble yourself, submit to God. Like there's no option there. It's a mandate. It's a mandate, but it's a mandate with a promise attached to it. When we submit to God, there's promise. That's one of the things that in impact you a couple years ago, one of the very first classes that we did was how to study the word of God. And we took time where we looked through the word and we looked for moments when God made, you know, a, um, a conditional promise. You know, I will do this if you do this, a covenant promise. Uphold your end, I'm gonna uphold my end. But you've gotta do your end first. So many of us are expecting, you know, the enemy to flee, the enemy to flee. Okay, God, why isn't he fleeing? Because we're not humble and we haven't submitted. Submission is going to God. It's recognizing your need for a Lord. It's going to God and asking him for what the plan is and then not blowing off the plan when he gives it to you. So many times, I can think of so many times where I've gone to God and I'm like, God, why is this not working? And he's told me, and I'm like, okay, thanks for telling me. And I'll just go about my merry business. As though knowing it is going to be the difference maker. Knowing it is just the first step. Then I've got to live out what God's showing me. It's like if you go and you buy a whole bunch of books, you know, let's say you're studying prayer. 
and you go and buy every book that Kenneth Hagin ever taught on the book of prayer or about the subject of prayer and you have them all at your home they're stacked up nice and high and you're like ah I have all these keys to prayer and you never crack the book open and read just because you have the tool doesn't mean it's benefiting you unless you use it just because I am given an instruction it profits me nothing if I don't actually then live out the instruction. I am the one who chooses whether I'm living out the things of God. That's submission. And here's how you know it's submission, because your flesh doesn't want to do it. Your spirit will. Your spirit will want to live out the things of God absolutely every single time. But your flesh is going to come up with excuses why not to. I'm too tired. I'm, I'm God, I'm already doing so much. I, I just, I, I'm not going to be good at this. Like, have somebody else do this. Like, these are things that the Lord will say to me. Or not that the Lord, I'll say to the Lord, not that the Lord will say to me. But I'll say and back to the Lord as an excuse. And that's all it is. is it's an excuse. It's something that would like to separate us from God. And we've got to tell our flesh to shut up. We've got to. Our flesh is like a toddler throwing a temper tantrum. If you have ever doubted whether or not your flesh has a voice, fast for three days. (laughs) You fast for three days and your flesh is like, give me all the pizza and donuts in the world. I'll eat anything. Like your flesh has a voice. (laughs) (laughs) your flesh is saying, oh, I'm going to pass out. I'm just going to fall over. I can't, I'm so weak. I can't do it. Oh my, like your flesh is so whiny. (laughs) Oh my gracious. It's like the kid that I just want to spank and be like, shut up, stop it. That's what the flesh sounds like. It's a kid that needs to be spanked truthfully but here's what what happens to your kids if you don't discipline them they turn into hooligans like if you never discipline you know the kids that are disciplined and the kids that aren't you put two when I taught kindergarten I had kids that I and I loved them all but I had kids who you could tell they were disciplined at home and you could tell the ones that were not they stood out You can tell a disciplined, submitted Christian from the ones who are not. They stand out. We're called to discipline ourselves because what happens to a child that's not disciplined, they're then eventually led down a path of destruction. If we don't train up our child in the way that they should go, you know, If God promises something, then the opposite of what he promises is true as well. And the word tells us that if you train up a child in the way they should go, when they're older, they won't depart from it. Okay, well, if we're not training up our children in the way they should go, when they get older, they will depart from the way that we should have trained them up in. The same is true for us. If we're not training up our flesh in the things of God, as we grow in the things of God, it's not going to lead to anything profitable. We've got to start submitting ourselves. You can't have God's promises without operating in God's ways. You can't. And here's the thing, God's playbook, it's full of promises. It's saying, if you move left, here's what's going to happen. If you go right, this is what's going to be here. They're going to come this way, but you're going to go, you're going to go around them. If we don't actually operate in God's ways, we'll never have what he's promised us we can have. It's like Jesus saying, okay, move to the left and blessings over here and saying, Okay, and then going to the right and expecting the same promise to be there. That's not where Jesus said it was. 
That's not where the Lord said it was. He said it's over here. So we've got to move with God. We've got to flow with God. We've got to abide in him. We've got to abide in the vine as he abides in us. That submission is flowing where he says to flow, going where he says to go, doing what he says to do, living as he's called us to live. But it's something that we've got to decide. We have to choose that. So the first key is humility. The second key is submission. The third key is resisting. Hmm. Oh, he's so good. Lord, I thank you that you are showing us how to do these things. Thank you, Father, that as we are hearing your words today, that you're showing each of us how we can grow in humility, submission, and in resisting all distractions from the enemy. God, thank you for it. Thank you, Lord. You're so good. These two steps, humility and submission. Carolyn Shuttlesworth, I love you. I didn't know you were on. You're so great. Ugh. Humility and submission will lead you into position where you're strong enough to resist the devil. You know, if you just go right into resisting without humbling yourself and without submitting yourself, it's similar to being that kid that goes onto the field expecting to be able to stand up against the linebacker. You know, if you're not strong enough, if you haven't been told the plays, then you have no right to be on the field with a great big giant. You have no right to do that. None. Romans 8.31, it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? You know, when you're humble and you're submitted, you will know my God's for me. My God has a great big plan. My God has already figured out a way that I'm going to win this. My God's already figured out a way that I'm going to live in perpetual victory. That's who my God is. And then when you get, when you get out there, there's, that's where the boldness comes from. You know, at the very beginning of this, I told you that the mental image that I had in my head was a coach with an open playbook talking to his players. Boldness comes from knowing the coach. Boldness comes from knowing the play. Boldness, boldness. That's what happens when you're submitted and you're humble. A spirit of boldness to the point where you can resist the devil. You know, if you'll flip over to Matthew 4. It's one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. And I just want to read, you know, it's talking about Jesus. Jesus, when he's fasting, it says, Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. <laughs> I love that. Like after 40 days, you just decided he was hungry. Well, that's good. My flesh has decided I'm hungry after 12 hours, so I will grow. And then the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. 
Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, go Satan for it is written. Resisting the devil is knowing God well enough to have an it is written on your tongue. That's how you resist the devil is you humble yourself, you submit yourself, and those two keys will put you in position where you know your God and you know your word to the point where you can then look at the devil's face and say, it's written, back off. When we know the playbook well enough, then we can tell the opposing team to shut their mouths. That's what we're called to do is we are called to have an it it is written ever ready on our tongue. We're called as believers to have an account for the hope that is within us. That's what we're called to do. But unless we're humble and unless we're submitted, we will never get to the point where the it is written is truly rhema inside of us. We've got to be submitted. We've got to be humble because those two things will lead us to such a revelation of God. If you ever came up to me and said, George, my husband, George doesn't love you. I'd be able to laugh in their face and say, there is proof that he does. He has chosen me. I am his. He loves me. He's in intimacy with me. He told me this morning that he loves me. He texted me that he did. I have evidence. I have proof. I have his vows that he made to me. Shut your mouth. You have no idea what you're talking about because it is written that I am in covenant with this man. If you ever told me that my pastors were against me, I would be able to laugh because I have had such a connection and a a covenant relationship with them. Same, but different than I do with my husband. I'm in covenant with them and I know their heart for me that you will never be able to convince me otherwise that they're not for me because I know their heart. But it came as I humbled myself and I submitted to them. That relationship of covenant came between myself and George when I humbled myself to him as my husband and submitted myself to him. And here's the thing. There have been times where I have not been humble with George, where I have not submitted myself to George. And then when the enemy came up, I didn't have an it is written ready. And all of a sudden the enemy could come in and convince me of this and that and bad and doom and gloom and whatever. And I'd get so discouraged. But the moment that I postured myself in humility, the moment I submitted myself to him and I'd go back and I'd say George I have messed up I haven't submitted myself to you I haven't truly humbled myself to your things will you please forgive me all of a sudden that forgiveness and that repentance put me back in the place where I could then be back in intimacy with him and then the it is written is ready the resisting the devil is ready it's right there it's the same thing with God Maybe we've messed up before. Maybe we haven't been humble. Maybe we haven't been submitted. But there's hope because Jesus is alive. He's alive. And because he lives, he is your savior first. He has saved you from yourself. He saved you from every mess up. And he has created a way for you to be in relationship and intimacy with him and with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. You never have to second guess. Resisting is having an it is ready on your tongue. That's resisting the devil. You know, and James, put it in the comments, James 1, 2 through 4. I think we're about to wrap up. I could be wrong. Um, James 1, 2 through 4. It says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Too long in this year of 2020, too long has the church considered it sorrow. 
Too long has the church been sorrowful over what's happening. Too long. Too long have we sat by and just allowed the darkness to creep in. Too long. Church, we live in an age where we can consider it joyous that we are alive. It is all joy that we are alive right now because we have the playbook in our hands. And the playbook says that we win. The playbook says that light triumphs over darkness every single time. The playbook says that God is always leading us in victory parade. The second Corinthians 2:14. but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. We can have joy. We can consider it all joy when we face trials because the testing of your faith produces endurance. Some would could say that it's cocky. It's not cocky. It's confidence. We can be confident in the face of trial. We can be confident in the face of persecution. We can be confident in the testing of our faith, knowing that we are proving Jesus Lord. Jesus as Lord cannot fail. He can't. He can't fail. He can't fail. And here's the thing. If Jesus can't fail, you can't fail either. Say that. I can't fail because Jesus can't fail. I can't fail because Jesus can't fail. Don't just type that. Say that out loud. I can't fail because Jesus can't fail. Your coach is anointed to win. Your, co your coach is anointed to prosper. And so are you. You can't have a winning coach and have a losing team. It's not how it works. God's team will not lose. God's team will not lose. And if you're on God's team, you can't lose either. That's who you are. John 17, 15. This is one of my favorite verses. It says, I do not ask you, Jesus talking, red letters. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Do you know what keep means? Keep means to watch over them. Keep means to guard them. It says from loss or injury. The enemy can't even injure you. He, ah. When the church gets that, when I truly, like, as this is coming alive to me, man, all of a sudden you become an impenetrable force for the gospel. You can't be touched. You're kept. You're kept from the evil one. But how are you kept? As you abide in his playbook. You've got to stay in the plans of God, not because he wants to control you, but because that's where your provision is. That's where your protection is. That's where the glory of God is. That's where supply is. That's where the guard is. We can't be touched. It says that that word keep, it means to hold fast, to keep, to observe. God is observing you. It also says he's preserving you. He's preserving you from wickedness and he's reserving you. You are being observed by God. You're being preserved and kept by God, but you were also reserved for this time. God could have sent you to any other moment during the history of the world. He could have sent you to live in the 1800s. He could have decided, 
life be in 1972. He could have decided that you were going to be alive in, in 1706. You could have been alive at any point, but he reserved you for this time. You are God's best team yet. We know that Jesus is the Lord that saves the best for last. You know, we see that with the wine. It's not that what came before wasn't good, but he tells us that what's coming is going to be even better. The latter rain is going to just blow away the early rain. That's how he works. When the very first miracle he did, when he turned water into wine, it was the best wine they'd ever tasted. You were reserved for this point in time now because God's plans for you were to prosper. God's plans for the church during 2020, during all of this darkness coming into the world, is to be what Pastor Brian has been saying for months now. It's to be a stark contrast against the darkness. We are to be a glorious light. When you see a sunrise, it's so magnificent because there's no other color on the board yet. And when that first flash of color comes up all of a sudden it's like wow look at the color of orange look at the sun look at how beautiful it is because it's contrasting against the darkness church we are called to contrast against the darkness of God we are called we are chosen but it comes as we abide in God as God's called us to abide in him it's a choice we humble ourselves we submit to God we resist the devil and we know that he's fleeing even right now as you know as I'm sharing this I know that faith is rising up in you cuz faith is rising up in me it's how his word works and that thing that you've been battling that thing that has seemed to be difficult it's going to be fleeing 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 because when you resist the devil he flees as you're humble, as you're submitted, and as you resist. Don't fall for distraction. Don't fall for those things of the enemy. Don't let him get you off course by throwing a smoke bomb. You know, that's a tactic that, that they'll use in war is they'll have like smoke grenades and stuff and throw them so that way you can't see through stuff. Guess what? God's given you got like this, like goggles that you can see through every single attack. It's called the word of God. It's called the Holy Spirit. It's called this playbook. And we, as a body of Christ as a whole, I'm not just talking to boomerang. I'm talking to every person connected to the head, every person that calls themselves a Christian. We've got to decide, Lord, I will do this your way. I will live as you've called me to live. I'll do what you've called me to do. I'll be who you've called me to be. I will humble myself before you. I will submit before you. I will resist the devil and I will watch him flee. He will flee from me. He'll flee from my family. He'll flee from my church. He'll flee from my job. He'll flee from my friends because I have you. If God be for us, who can be against us? Nobody. Nobody can stand against us. We are on the winning side of this thing. Anything that says otherwise is a lie 
and it's a distraction to discourage you and grade away hope. But today, in Jesus' name, I command the spirit of hope to rise up to every person watching right now. Every viewer watching, may the spirit of hope start to come alive again. Whether it's been graded away or whether it's been at the top notch that it could be, let everybody's spirit of hope grow. Let the spirit of faith grow. Lord, in Jesus' name, strengthen your church right now. Empower them to be who they're called to be. Empower them, God. Strengthen them. I command people's eyes to be opened. I command cloudiness that has caused men and women to stray away from living for you as they're called to live for you. I command cloudiness to be gone. I command your people to know your voice. Your word says my sheep knows my voice and the strangers they will not follow. Lord, I command every believer under the sound of my voice, every believer, I command them to know the voice of God. Every believer, I command for an understanding to come over them so that they know whether something is them, whether it's the enemy or whether it's your spirit. God, I command a spirit of understanding to come alive and for people's hearts to just be softened into a place of humility. God, we need you. Just say it right now. Put it in the comments. Say, Jesus, I need you. I need you. Jesus, I want you. Jesus, I have to have you. There's no substitute for you. Jesus, I want you. And for everybody praying, just pray with me and say, Jesus, I repent for ever being my own Lord. You are my Lord. You call the shots and I'll be obedient. Whatever you say, I will do it. Jesus, my ears are open to hear your voice. My spirit is the same spirit that Jesus had. I have the Holy Spirit leading me and guiding me in all truth, and I will not fail. Jesus, I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose again. And when you were raised up, you raised me up with you. My sins, the old man, it died. My old ways of not being humble and not being submitted, they're dead. I am a new creation today. You're not just my Savior, you're my Lord. And I will follow your playbook that you have for me and my life. I will be a part of this end time move of God. In Jesus' name, Lord, just bless every viewer, every person watching today, God. Bless them. Bless them. Bless them mightily. Let the blessing of the Lord come upon them right now. May they be blessed in the city and blessed in the field, blessed in their coming, blessed in their going. Let the blessing flush out any bit of the curse that would try to be on their lives. Let them experience a blessing on God's level. In Jesus' name. Well, guys, I love y'all. Thank you for being on with us today. I'm going to hand it over to Buddy here in a minute um, as soon as I'm done saying goodbye. And he's going to do the time of giving for you. Um, but just thank you. Thank you for thank you for humbling yourself. You know, a message like this, I know that it's, it's, a, 
It's not always the easiest for the flesh to swallow. But I believe, I truly believe that the body of Christ is about to experience such an outpouring of the glory of God. And my heart is that you would be a part of that and you would not miss it. I don't want to miss being a part of it. So this has been my heart cry is for the Lord to help me be more humble, for the Lord to help me be more submitted, for the, help, for the Lord to help me resist the devil more. And it's his heart for you. It's his playbook for you. I love y'all. Thank you for being with us. Be blessed. We love you in Jesus' name. And now here's Buddy. Hey, guys. Uh, we like to follow up our broadcast with a, giving you an opportunity to sow. And we've seen just throughout this broadcast that several people have been sowing. And before you jump off, I, I want to encourage you uh, real quick uh, just to, just to take, a, take a moment and just listen to this word because uh, this is probably— this, this, I mean, we just heard a powerful word today, and here's, here's the thing. God, like, it, it is so beneficial to be able to sow into the Word. Uh, you know, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6.10, it says, The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And I, I'm 100% stealing this analogy from Pastor Luke Bruger. But uh, he, he, he was sharing uh, in, a, in a recent sermon, he was talking about how if someone, and I'll just, I'll just share this, you know, as if I'm sharing it, but if someone were to come to me and say, hey man, can I, can I borrow your car for a moment? I would, I would say, okay, sure, you know, what, what do you need it for? I'd ask them a couple questions, and then I probably, I wouldn't be offended by that. You know, I'd be fine with it. If he said, hey, can I borrow your phone for a minute? Okay, you know, who do you need to call? I'll ask him, and then, and then I'll, but I won't be offended, you know, by that question. But if someone were to say, hey man, I'm going away for a week, can I borrow your wife? Okay, I'm going to be offended by that. Like, that's just, that's just a twisted and sick thing to ask. Why? Because my wife is mine. She's my wife. She's precious to me. She's nobody else's. Like, I hold her dear in my heart. She is one of the most important things that I have in that, you know, that's mine. And so why, why would I be so offended by that? Because she is so precious to me. Now, whenever we take a time of offering, you, there's people who say, um, they, they get offended. Why are they always taking up offerings? Why are they always doing this? You know, why, you know it, they're just in it for the money. They just want my money. That's all that it's about. Why, why do people get offended when we take, take up an offering? It's because the love of money is the root of all evil. There's something within them that they, are, they hold their money so precious to themselves that they aren't willing to, to freely give it or to give it up. That, see, that, heck, you look at this passage. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Hear this. The first murder that we, that we hear about is because of an offering. Cain murdering Abel. The, why, did, why did mankind fall into sin? It's because the devil convinced Adam and Eve that God was withholding something good from them, that they could have more, that they could have all the riches, that they could have all the wisdom if they were to eat from that, that fruit. They were telling them that you could have more, but God's withholding from you. See, it's the root of all kinds of evil. And so the reason... see. People think that when we start teaching, well, give and it'll be given to you. When we start teaching sowing and reaping, people think, oh, well, those prosperity people, all they want, those people, they take up offerings. All they want is money. You know, all, all it's about for, to them is money. It, they love money. You know, don't they know that the love of money is the root of all? 
But what they don't understand is that when we're preaching these principles, what we're actually doing is the exact opposite of love of money. We're teaching you not to love money. How, and the only way to do that is to be willing to give it up freely. The only way to break off the love of money is to be a sower, is to, be, is to sow. And, and, and when you sow, when you are willing to lay that aside. See, biblical prosperity teaches us not to, not to love money by giving it up freely, by being givers, by being sowers. And as we do that, the love money breaks off of us and then we are put, putting ourselves in a position to where God can now trust us with, with literal physical wealth. See, that's why shortly, because people will quote, oh, you know, they think godliness is a means of great gain. But, the, but he says in verse 6, but godliness with contentment is a means for a great gain. Then, then he goes on verse 10, the love of money is the root of all evil. But then in verse 17, he says this, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty or to trust in uncertain riches. What's he saying? Don't love your money. He says, don't teach them not to trust but to, uh, in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. So what, notice what he doesn't say after the love of money is the root of all evil. He doesn't say, now tell the rich people that they're wicked and evil for having riches. No, he's saying, put their, tell them to put their trust in the God who gives you the riches, who gives us all things richly for us to enjoy. See, that's who God is. But first, we need to be willing to break off the love of money. And how do we do that? By becoming sowers. That's the only way. The only way for me to break off an addiction to, to something is for me to give it up. And so if I'm addicted to finances, if I love finances, the only way I can break that off is to give it up and to sow it. That's what Jesus did with the rich young ruler. Take all you have, sell it, give it to the poor. Then you'll store up treasures in heaven and come follow me. What, what was he saying? He was saying you need to break off a love for something that's getting in the way of your walk with me. That, that, that's, what, that's, who he, that's who Jesus is. He wants you to break off things that hold on to you. So when we say the love of money is the root of all evil, what we're, and when we, when we are t giving you an opportunity to sow, when we're giving you an opportunity to give, we're not just doing it because we want your money. We're doing it like, heck, that's what Paul said in Philippians. I believe it's Philippians when he said, not that uh, uh, I, I'm not asking this, I'm not asking you to give to me, for my benefit, I think that's actually first, Second Corinthians 9. He says, not so they, not be, I'm not asking you for my benefit, but for the fruit that will come to your account. See, it's not a matter of what we want you to give to us. It's we want to break off something that's potentially binding you so that you can be put in a position where God can trust you with more. And that's why we want to give you an opportunity to sow today. So if, you're, if you want to sow today, you can go to givebc.org or if you're on Facebook, you can uh, just put hashtag donate. And I just want to pray a blessing over those who have already given and who, are, who will be giving. Uh, I just want to pray a blessing over you. Father God, I thank you in Jesus' name. God, that your word says that, God, that you're not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he shall reap. And so, Father God, I pray, Lord, that as we sow today, that the bondage of the love of money will be broken off of, of every sower's life. In Jesus' name, God, that they won't that they won't uh, get greedy, that they won't get upset, that they won't get bothered whenever people take offering, but they'll cheerfully say, "Oh, praise God! I have an opportunity to sow into the kingdom of God." God, I pray, Lord, that you will put a love in them for you and for your kingdom like it's never been there before. And God, right now, as we submit to you, as we honor you, God, I thank you that the devil who's been trying to hold us back in the area of finances will have to flee. In Jesus' name, amen.
All right, well, guys, we love you. We uh, thank you for being with us today. Uh, thank you for those of you who have sown. We have an awesome broadcast for you tomorrow as well. Tomorrow we're, we have uh, a powerful time of prayer. We're going to have a dad joke battle and we're going to have a potential accent challenge. It's going to be it's going to be an interesting broadcast, and so we're, we're really excited to see you there tomorrow. Guys, we love you. Have a supernatural and an awesome day today. We'll see you guys tomorrow. We love you guys.